Welcome back, Missio family. Today, we are taking a break from Galatians to hear from a guest speaker, Julie Seifert. You will hear the story of the Seifert family and how God was present through some of life's difficult moments. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. One quick note while you go through this service. You may hear some clicking or the audio cut in and out on the microphone. We are aware of it and we had some difficulties with tech and they have been taken care of. So next week you'll be back to your clean and pristine podcast viewing experience. Thank you so much for your patience, Missio. What amazing songs, just just reflecting on this idea that uh, there is brokenness, there is darkness, there is roughness, there is anxiousness um, in this world. Um, and it's just, it's just reality. I wish it wasn't that way. It's just, it's just a reality um, that, that, that we live in a time of, of chaos. And, and as I read through scriptures, there's this, this metaphor, this, this imagery used quite often by, by the authors of scripture, and it's the image of chaotic waters. And, and when uh, authors use these words, and a lot of times you see it in the book of Psalms, right? Or even in the book of Genesis, and even throughout the Gospels, and some of the stories that Jesus told, and some of the experiences the disciples faced, the, these chaotic waters, they, they convey a, a state of the uninhabitable. Right? Or another way to be put it is that there is this idea of the, the unwelcome parts of life. And I think all of us could say there's parts of our lives we wish were unwelcomed, right? That, that weren't part of, of our stories, and, and yet they're there. That's until we see the other side of Scripture that says in these unwelcome parts of life, God steps in. And God creates, and he creates beauty out of chaos. He creates stillness when things are rough. And if you get a chance um, this week, I want you to, to compare a, a couple stories uh, in Scripture in the Bible. Uh, one would be Psalms 18. And we see this is a psalm by, by David, and, and he, he just he talks about that in his life there's just all these things that are coming at him, and he, he describes it as chaotic waters, as, as rough times, as, as the depths of the, of the waters that were around him. And then he acknowledges it is God who reaches down from on high and take hold of him. And, and I want you to compare that to, to a story that Jesus and the disciples uh, experienced. And we see it in, uh, I think, all of the Gospels. Uh, specifically in the Gospel of Matthew, we, we see that Jesus, he, he made his disciples go in a, in a boat ahead of him. He stayed back and he was mingling with the people that he was teaching. And he just got done feeding 5,000 people. And, and there's all these things that are going on. And he says, you know, disciples, you get in this boat, you just go. And one account says they were about three to four miles out in the water. And they're like, hey, we're just, we're, just, we're just paddling. We're paddling and just kind of seeing what happens. And the winds come up. 
the waves start hitting the boat. I, I love Mark's account where Mark says they became fatigued, they became tired because that their rowing was kind of in vain. They couldn't find themselves making progress. And they came to the point of finding um, fear uh, in their lives. There was an unsettledness. There was an unwelcomeness within their, their life. And that's the, the story where Jesus starts walking out to them, and, and they take notice of him, and it's, here's Peter that says, hey, I want to go out. I want to meet Jesus. I want to go on the water. And, and Jesus invites him, and he says, come, come. And Peter starts walking on water until, again, he starts noticing the winds. He starts knowing, noticing the waves, and he starts sinking. Um, his distraction got in the way of him understanding what God was doing, and ultimately he says, do not be in disbelief, you know. Um, you know, Peter, and he reaches out, Jesus reaches out his hand and lifts Peter up. You know, a lot of people kind of criticize Peter for taking his eyes off of Jesus, but I, man, what a man that in the midst of a storm was willing to say, I, I see my Jesus walking on water, so can I. And it's a beautiful scene of, of the, the only mortal man in human history that I'm aware of that had the ability to walk on water in the midst of his fears because he had his eyes on Jesus. You know, we serve a God, um, and, I, and I think we have to acknowledge this constantly in our lives. We acknowledge and we worship and we have faith in a God who reaches and extends and draws near. He redeems, he encourages in the midst of life's storm. Uh, today, uh, Pastor Josh, he, he, he called me on Friday, on Thursday, and said, hey, Jeremy, would you willing to, to share this morning, you know, with the congregation? I'd say, yeah, you know, I can. And as, as I was kind of putting some thoughts together, something kind of was happening in my life over this past week, and it kind of made me reflect on a situation that happened four years ago. And then I, I called Josh back up on Friday. I said, Josh, I, I wonder if, um, would you give me permission to um, share a friend with the congregation? And he goes, yeah, sh share with me what you're thinking. And, and so I started telling him about my friend, uh, actually the whole entire Seifert family. Uh, and specifically, um, Julie. Uh, and if you don't know anything about uh, Dan and Julie, uh, four years ago they, they lost a loved one, um, their 16-year-old son. Uh, and, and they are the people that I looked to. I've learned so much from, from Dan and Julie. Actually, I've known them since about 1993. Uh, as Julie was my first boss at Super Slide Amusement Park, and we shared a lot of memories back in those days together. And I've always kind of kept touch and kind of see what's going on. And we actually found ourselves working together at Shiloh Christian School. Um, and and I, just, I just marvel at how this family demonstrated authentic stability in their life going through chaotic waters. And what I am just so, um, just that their family taught me was that stability isn't a virtue that shines in comfort. Let me say that again. Stability isn't a virtue that shines in, in a comfort, but in conflict and affliction and uncertainty. And so, Missio family, I want to introduce to you uh, my dear friend. Well, good morning. Oh, sorry. Um, I thank you so much for letting me come right now. And I will be honest, I am not a very good public speaker. And so I, gotta, I, I have to stick to my script. And I want to be super um, cognizant of your time. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, well, my name is Julie Seifert. 
and here's just a little bit about me. I live right here in Bismarck. Um, I've been a teacher for 25 years. Uh, the past 15 years, I've been right here in Bismarck. I've been at Shiloh. Um, my husband, Dan, and I, we also own and operate a lawn service for like 20 years now. Um, however, I do wear other hats in this life, and the hat that I am most proud of is being a Christian mom. Um, I'm going to take this time to share a little bit of my faith journey. Um, Jesus doesn't say that we're going to have to get, you know, that we're going to get to skip the hard parts of our journey, but he said we need to find purpose amid the journey. Well, back in 93, this is 1993, I started my freshman year of college at Bismarck State. You're like, well, okay, what do we care? But in this Spanish class I had, um, it's where I met my future husband, Dan. Um, Dan, he starts a new part of my faith journey. Um, him and I came from completely different religious backgrounds, but we had the same faith. That's huge. We both wholeheartedly believe John 3.16. Okay. Um, we dated for about three years until I finished college, and then we were married in 1997. So I even included a wedding picture because when you've been married that long, they just sit in a book. So I thought, oh, how fun. I'll embarrass my whole family. Well, go to 1998, and Dan and I have been married for a year, and he finally graduated, and we both needed to find teaching jobs. So we found ourselves in Bullhead City, Arizona. This location takes me to a pivotal point in my faith journey. My husband and I, we agreed on the faith aspect, but we hadn't compromised on a religion, so we did, a lot, or we did what a lot of newlywed couples that live 2,500 miles away from their parents do, and we quit the church. Well, that was bad enough in itself, but here's the really bad part about it. We lied. We told our parents that we were going to church every Sunday. I mean, what was the harm? They were like a two days drive away. It's not like they could check up on us. Well, we were about a year into our four-year Arizona journey, and my in-laws come down to help us move into our new home. Well, on that Saturday night, they're like, hey, what time do we leave for church in the morning? Well, I'm trying to make eye con contact with my husband without drawing too much attention, and he just says, oh, it starts at 10.30. And I'm like, oh, great. We're, we're busted. And so that night, we get the phone book out, and we're frantically looking through the yellow pages for churches. And we have to find one that starts at 10.30 because that's the time my husband told my, his parents that we're going to be there. Well, mission accomplished. We're set. We pulled it off, except the next morning, we can't find the church. This was way before GPS, and nobody had a cell phone, and so we couldn't even find the street that the church was supposed to be located on. Well, this ended up being a very rewarding mistake in our faith journey. During the moments that ensued, my in-laws look of total disappointment. We stumbled on this little church called Desert Streams Bible Church. It was amazing. Um, it gave my faith journey the jump start it needed. It was Bible-based, and it was exactly what we needed. This is where I rededicated myself to the Lord and jumped in with both feet. I was baptized and started my personal relationship with Jesus. I was never as fully engaged with a church as I was with that one. It was the perfect size. It had the members that were the perfect age, and it was just a great way to grow spiritually. Fast forward a few more years. 
Dan and I decided that it was time to grow our family. We were about three to four months into our first pregnancy when the Lord needed that baby back. We understood that that moment was not our time. Um, after the whole miscarriage and healing process, we became pregnant with our first living child. We were 2,500 miles away from home and managed the entire pregnancy by ourselves. That was an amazing experience. Talk about growing as a couple. Picking out a name for your firstborn child is quite a task. My husband wanted to name him Ace. But a few months later, I won the game, or the name game. And on March 7th, 2002, Hunter Daniel Seifert was born. Oh, he was a blessing. However, we were 2,500 miles away from our family members, and we moved back to Bismarck at the end of May of 2002. We have been here ever since. A lot has happened in the last 20 years. We added three more children to our family, Gabrielle in 2003, Carter in 2006, and Mason in 2007. Mason was actually named so that we could call him Dan's favorite nickname, Ace. We have continued to teach in both the private and public sectors of education, and we still own and operate our business. We also had the opportunity to find a new church family. When we moved back, we settled. We chose to go to my husband's home church while growing up, and it, it worked for a while. It had great programs for our kids, but it eventually didn't glorify God for me. If you're in a church where you can't glorify and praise God, it's time to find a different one. We took about three months and went church shopping, and we did eventually find the right fit and have spent the last five years there. Here is why finding a great church family is important. You are eventually going to need them. My family started the hardest adventure of our life in the fall of 2016. Late that summer, my oldest son, Hunter, who was 14 at the time, started to have some weird things plague him. Him and my husband had a tea time set up for Hawk Tree Golf Course at the end of July. His back hurt so bad that they had to cancel. Well, we justified it by saying that he was, had just gone through his freshman football camp, so maybe he tweaked it. Well, towards the end of August, he was playing in a JV football game at Kidder County. He was having an amazing game. He scored three touchdowns and then all of a sudden was standing on the sideline. He was there for a while, so I went over and asked him if he had done something wrong um, and had gotten taken out of the game. And he said, he looked at me and he said, Mom, I had to take myself out of the game because my back hurts so bad. Well, so we're in mid-September now, and Hunter, who absolutely loves football, is saying that he doesn't have enough energy to go to practice and his stomach hurts all the time. I decided that I should probably take him to the clinic. Well, after a few tests, the doctor said he had a virus and it would need to run its course. Well, fast forward another week, and now Hunter has about all he can handle just to keeping up with school. He comes home after school and goes directly to bed. He doesn't even have the energy to work our family business, and that spoke volumes. He, loves his, he loved to spend his spending money. I decided that I needed to make an appointment with his pediatrician. We had one set for that for Monday at 2.30. Well, Monday afternoon rolled around, and we were headed to the clinic. On the way there, he says, Mom, you're probably going to get a call from my teacher tonight. I absolutely couldn't stay awake in class, so I laid down, and I fell asleep. Well, my mom panic was really starting to set in. 
At the appointment, the doctor did her thing and she ordered some blood tests and she ordered an x-ray of his right lung. She said she couldn't hear any noise coming from it, so she was wondering if maybe he had pneumonia. We headed to the tests and the doctor tells us that she'll call us in the morning with the results. Okay, well now we're getting somewhere. So Hunter and I, we head home and when we get there, Hunter goes straight for his room and goes to sleep. I get to the stop, top of the steps and the phone rings. It is the doctor. The first words out of her mouth are, Julie, you need to take Hunter to the hospital immediately. I have already called admitting and they are getting a room ready for him. I was like, well, okay, well, what's wrong with him? And her response was, I'm not sure, but it is not good. So we are met at St. A's by the doctor and some higher up people. They admit Hunter and start asking a million questions. They covered our whole life history in about 45 minutes. At the time, my mom worked in NICU at St. A's, so she came over when her shift was over. They had told me that he would be spending the night for sure, so I quickly ran home to get a few things to stay with him. Now, um, while I was home, the doctor called and said that I needed to bring my husband with me when I came back. Now, when a doctor tells you to bring your husband with you when you come back, you know that it is not going to be good news. When we got back, she told us flat out, no beating around the bush, your son has some kind of cancer. He has multiple tumors in his body. He has some on his lungs, which are causing his lungs to fill with fluid. He currently has no function in his right lung. It is completely filled. He is operating on one lung, which explains the fatigue. He also has tumors on his spine, which has cracked one of his vertebrae, vertebrae sorry, which explains the back pain. Then she throws us for another loop. We cannot diagnose him here. You will need to go to Children's Hospital in Minneapolis. Well, that day changed the trajectory of our lives forever. Time was split in two, before cancer and after cancer. That evening, we brought our other three kiddos up to see Hunter before we left. Mason was a third grader, Carter was a fifth grader, and Gabrielle was an eighth grader. The next morning, we headed out at 8 a.m. for Minneapolis. We ended up spending two and a half weeks in the hospital. He was much sicker than they had even expected. His first surgery was expected to take about an hour and a half. Well, after five and a half hours, they finally sent someone out to talk to us. The tumors were much more extensive than they thought. In fact, there was one wrapped in and around his aorta. He was in bad shape. They spent the next two weeks getting him fixed back up and we got his diagnosis, stage four rhabdomyosarcoma. It took about a week and a half to get all of the fluid out of his lungs and his first round of chemo in. Well, when we got back to Bismarck, Hunter wanted to get back to life as normal. That was hard on my mom heart. Things that Hunter loved to do, he was no longer able to do. He had 42 weeks of chemo. Every third round was spent in the hospital. The amazing thing about Hunter was his attitude. He had a lot of things taken away from him, but he didn't really let that bother him. His response became, Mom, I need to tell more people about Jesus. And he did. When a church group asked him to speak, he always took them up on that opportunity. In the meantime, I did what every mom would do. I worried. 
Halfway through his 42-week plan, he started five weeks of radiation. They literally manipulated some radiation beam thing to arc around his lung and shoot the big tumor on his heart. He had to do this every day for 30 days. Every three months, he had to have a CT scan, a PET scan, and an MRI on his back. I've never had any of those in my entire life, and he was having to do all of them every three months. However, Hunter stuck to what he said, and he kept making sure that people knew he was in no way angry at God. After 42 weeks of treatment, he had all the scans again to make sure the cancer was gone. It was. At the end of July 2017, he had his last chemo treatment, and his doctor said, Go home. We'll see you there. We'll see you in three months to make sure you are still clear. Well, within two months, we already knew the cancer was back. The scans confirmed what he thought. The doctor was very clear or very real with us this time. She sat us down and told us straight out that he had a 2% chance of surviving this. That was tough to hear. We picked up all the other our other kids early from school and took them back home to tell them. As we finished telling them, the younger three are visibly in shock and have no idea what to say. Well, Hunter gets up and says, hey, 2% is greater than 1%. At least I'm not terminal. I beat it once and I can beat it again. Well, that was an attitude that I could work with. This is where I really started to see the importance of my faith in Jesus. Hunter was a rock star. His attitude remained great. His faith in God never wavered. He had an amazing relationship with the Lord, and he wasn't afraid to share it with others. Hunter went through another 42 weeks of a cancer roadmap. This was a different treatment plan because once a plan fails, you can't use it again. This was definitely harder on Hunter's body. It took him longer to recover each week. His overnight Overnight stays would usually take him about five days to recover, and then two days later, he would have to start it all over again. He ended up having to go through radiation again, and this compounded the sickness. Here again, we found ourselves nearing the end of his 42 weeks of treatment and wondered what the future held for him. The summer between his sophomore and junior year, we got to take his make-a-wish trip to Wisconsin Dells. It was an amazing experience. We truly forgot about cancer for a week. Well, fast forward two months, and Hunter can tell in his abdomen that the cancer is back. The tests confirm his feelings. Hunter starts his junior year having to take chemo pills every day and a chemo and IV infusion um, every week. This IV infusion was rough. The bounce back time was pretty much non-existent, and then it happened. In mid-December of 2018, he started complaining of pain in his legs. By the end of December, his pain was close to intolerable. His doctor ordered a PET scan to see what was going on with the cancer. At the time, North Dakota shared one machine, and it was a traveling machine. It wouldn't be available until January 14th. They put him on an oral morphine. Well, oral pain meds never worked for Hunter. So we finally got the PET scan on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock. It was an agonizing wait over the weekend, waiting for Monday to roll around to find the results. Well, that Monday, Hunter and I went to the clinic to meet with his doctor. In my heart, I knew it wasn't going to be good. 
but denial is a very powerful thing. Hunter is in so much pain just getting to the clinic that he doesn't even wave me off when I grab a wheelchair to take him up to the third floor. Dr. Sarabi has Hunter lay in a side room while her and I go look at the results. She hasn't seen the results yet either, so we'll be seeing them for the first time together. Her statement to me is, on this scan, the only black that we want to see is in the brain and in the bladder. Everything else needs to be white. She opened the document, and his entire body was black. He literally had tumors on every single bone of his body, and it was even in his bone marrow. Larger tumors lined his whole spinal cord and his hips. It was very evident why his body was in so much pain. I wanted to curl up in a ball and cry, but I'm the one in the family that doesn't cry. I called my husband at work and said something to the effect that it doesn't look good. I think it's over. Can you come to the hospital now? They're going to admit him. A great big thank you to Pastor Hine, who told my husband to go and he would figure everything out at school. We got Hunter admitted to the hospital and his doctor was getting all of his pain man management stuff started. Hunter had no idea what was going on, and I lied to him. I told him that we had to admit him to the hospital to get a heavy dose of chemo started. There was no way I was going to tell my son that he was going to die without the support of my husband. Well, the next hour was filled with questions that I would really rather forget. We had to make the decision of where our son was going to die. Were we going to take him home? Or was he going to stay at the hospital? For me, that was a no-brainer. We needed to stay at the hospital. I wanted my home only filled with good memories of Hunter, and it was uh, the most helpless feeling hearing the words, there is nothing more that we can do for your son. We just need to make him as comfortable as possible. When the tumors get to his lungs, they will fill up rather quickly, and then it will all be over. I pretty much turned into psycho mom. I didn't leave the hospital. I was going to have every last moment possible with my son. My husband had the awful task of telling our other three children and immediate family the news. Later that evening, he brought Gar uh, Gabrielle Carter and Mason to the hospital because we were all going to tell Hunter. When they got there, Dan and I went to his bedside because at the time, the pain med medicine had not caught up with him yet. So all he could do was lay flat on his back. And he asked, okay, well, when are we going to start chemo? And I lost it. I stood in front of him and I cried. His response in true hunter form was, wow, this can't be good if mom is crying. She never cries. It's true. This, his whole journey, I tried to be the strong one because I, that, I knew that my, couldn't, my husband couldn't not cry. Here is the thing you need to know about Hunter. He wasn't afraid to die. He knew exactly where he was going. He had such an amazing relationship with the Lord. It really was a beautiful thing. Yes, he cried a little when we told him, but he didn't cry for himself. He cried for us. He said that he knew how hard this was going to be on us. That's the last picture I have of my four. Um, within about another week, uh, the 
he becomes paralyzed. The, the tumors in his back kind of paralyze him. So that's the last I have of all four of them. It's a pretty special picture. Well, the next month was wonderful and awful all at the same time. We played games, had lots of family time, and watched our son deteriorate day by day. We did things that no parent should ever have to do. I watched as the funeral director came to my son's room and helped him plan out his funeral. I watched my son pick out his own casket. He also picked out his funeral music and readings. He got to pick the pastors at his funeral, Pastor Hine and Pastor Brian from Bismarck Baptist. He also picked out his own pallbearers, two of his buddies and three of his uncles. As the month went on, he spent more and more time not awake. He was on about the highest dose of pain meds that was legal. And then it happened. It was around 3.30 in the afternoon. He woke up in a panic because he couldn't breathe. This was it. This was going to happen today. Mason and Gabrielle had just arrived at the hospital for their after-school visit. Carter wasn't with them. Where was he? I had noticed that he hadn't come to the hospital the past couple of days. I called him, where are you? He's like, mom, just listen to me. I can't do it. I can't see him like that. He looks terrible. That's not my brother. Well, here comes a bad mom moment. I laid it on thick. Carter, your brother is going to die today. You need to get here now. Your cousin is coming to get you, and if you don't come now, you will regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah, I said that. Do I wish I could take it back? Absolutely, you bet I do. I spent two and a half years trying to keep one kid alive, and sometimes I forgot that my other three kids had feelings too. Hunter told me that he loved me, and he apologized for leaving so soon. He also was able to give each of his siblings another word of of advice. Yes, Carter did make it in time. His best friend, Marshall, came and read Hunter a letter. Hunter woke up long enough to give him a hug. Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Hine, along with lots of family, were there. I sat there holding my son's hand and had the biggest wrestling match with God. Man, was I mad at him. After my little pity party for myself, I finally decided to give my son back to the Lord. I remember the Lord putting a calming, peaceful feeling in my heart. Around 9 p.m. on Friday, February 15, 2019, Hunter Daniel Seifert took his last breath. The boy who made me a mom was gone. The only consolation that I had was that through his unwavering faith, I knew without a doubt that he was rejoicing with Jesus. Leaving the hospital that night was one of the hardest things that I have ever had to do. I was leaving without my child. I had only left the hospital five times during that month that he was in. Two were for basketball games for Carter, two were for basketball games for Mason, and one was to pick out and purchase Hunter's burial spot in the cemetery. We all camped out in our addition that night. I was kind of hoping that it was all a bad dream and that I would wake up in the morning and everything would be back to normal. Well, the days leading up to Hunter's funeral were a blur. I can tell you that nothing can prepare you, nothing can prepare you to see your son in a casket. It is 100% awful. I do know that his wake service was packed at Bismarck Baptist Church. 
and then came his funeral. It was held at Shiloh in the gymnasium. There were over a thousand people there. I don't tell you that because I'm boasting. I tell you that because Hunter's work for the Lord was and is not done. Hunter's mission always was to lead people to the Lord. He had an amazing funeral. Him and Pastor Brian made a video. We have had so many people tell us how inspired they were by Hunter's faith from that video. That's what it's all about, people. Leading people to Christ. After the funeral is when the tough stuff really starts. That's when the guilt sets in. The devil will really try to pull you away from God. And I was struggling internally. The questions that were going through my mind were ridiculous. So I retreated back to the Lord. The Lord was so faithful. Whenever I had a question or I was super mad at God, I would tell him. Sometimes I would scream at him. He doesn't care. He would rather you scream at him than not talk to him. My biggest question was why? Why? Why did you take my child? And the personal one, what did I do? Well, the Lord faithfully answered me. He sent me the verses from John 9, 1 through 3. It is about the blind man and his parents. It reads, Now, as Jesus passes by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Oh, my word, that was totally my boy. Here was another one that the Lord had sent. Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Cancer totally harmed Hunter's body, but he lived for the Lord anyway. I also had the task of making sure my three kids were still on track with God. Watching your brother die is one of those situations that's either going to make or break your faith. I asked all three of them individually when I felt it was appropriate. Mason, my youngest, was the first one I asked. I felt he had the best grasp on his faith and would be honest with me. He also wasn't scared to step out and talk about his faith. He was the first one of my children to be baptized. He made that decision on his own when he was in the third grade. He said that he was still great with God, and his exact words were, I know I will see Hunter again in heaven someday. I was like, I got something right. The next one I asked about it was Gabrielle. However, it was quite a few months after I had asked Mason. I was pretty worried about her faith journey since I knew she was struggling so much with the grief aspect. Her response surprised me. She said, Mom, without my faith, I wouldn't even be here anymore. A couple of months ago, when you yelled at me that in order to get out of this darkness that I was in, I needed to get right with the Lord. Well, I did. And I rededicated myself, and it has helped so much. The last one I talked to about their relationship with the Lord after this experience was Carter. He has always been our child that you never know what answer you're going to get. Well, he didn't disappoint. His response was, Mom, I'm so on God's side. Hunter was the best role model. 
hey, if I did one thing with, right with this parenting thing, making sure that my kids are Jesus followers was the best thing that I ever could have done. I'm on my last page, guys. Another huge part of my faith journey after my son died was keeping my marriage intact. The divorce rates among couples following the death of a child is 80 to 90%. I really didn't want that to happen to my husband and I. However, I did see why the rate was so high. My husband and I grieved in completely different ways. And quite frankly, I didn't agree with how my husband was grieving. I know that sounds crazy, but I was so mad at how he was grieving. The guy never cried anymore. I was like, what's going on? This guy went from crying through the entire cancer journey to not crying at all. What is wrong with him? Didn't he love our son? That was the devil. I took my husband's grieving personally, and it was tearing me up. One day, I finally couldn't take it anymore, and I called him out on it. I was super surprised at what I heard. I will spare you all of the details, but I found out that my husband and I were on totally different steps of the grieving process. There's like nine steps. Well, that blow up that I had at him, it did the trick. It opened our line of communication so we could let each other know what was going on. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe your health is failing. Maybe you're getting a divorce. Maybe you lost a parent. Maybe you're struggling with depression or addiction. Know that your questions, your whys, they may be answered on this side of heaven or they may not be. But don't let that stop you from fighting the good fight and keeping the faith. Don't let it stop you from trusting in his plan for your life. God will come through for you in some way or another. Sometimes in the form of an answer to a prayer. Other times in the form of comfort, peace, and perspective far above what's possible in our human strength. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. As I finish up this message, I want you to understand that I absolutely hate public speaking. You've probably noticed I haven't looked up once. I have a total fear of being in front of people and speaking. It is not my gifting. And every time I have to do it, I fight it. But the point is, God always wins. You don't have to have a great story. You just have to be willing to share it. I always end my talks with a quote from a paper that Hunter wrote in English class his junior year, four months before he passed away. I am so grateful to have these beautiful words of his. When you are thrust into a situation that is like mine or similar to mine, you learn a lot of things. You will definitely learn who you are as a person. You will have all of your life choices, good and bad, flash before you, and you will either feel sickened by them or you will be satisfied with what you see. The most important thing that I learned through this is that I need to trust God no matter what happens. I need to stay rooted in him and try not to stray. If anybody hears about what happened to me, I want them to learn that they need to have a strong relationship in Christ because they never know when they will meet him. Don't get into a life-threatening situation in order to truly start living out your faith. Thank you so much.
Let me just say this again. Stability isn't a virtue that shines in comfort, but in conflict, affliction, and uncertainty. You know, Julie, Dan, rest of the family, um, you might have a lot in common with Peter because you guys walked on water. Um, and that's what God allows you to do. In the midst of wind, in the midst of waves, God all allows us to do some miraculous things. Thank you for sharing your lives with us. And I think that's the beauty. God has a story. We talk a lot about here at Missio that God has a story. Uh, and it's a story worth telling. And the day in which each one of us were created, he, he brought us into his story. And so our story is his story. His story is our story. Thank you for sharing your story with us today as it relates to how amazing our God is. Um, you know what? Uh, what a beautiful way to end a, a service. I need you, right? And so um, the worship team, I thank you for your leading us. And then after this, I'll close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Like Pastor Jeremy said, at Missio, it is very important to us to share story, our story. Because if you look carefully, you'll start to see the story of Christ in our lives, too. Thanks again for listening, Missio family. We'll continue through Galatians next week. We hope to see you then. Love Jesus and live sent.